0: Hey, everybody. Great to be with you guys today. Man, we miss Being with you guys the last few weeks It's so awesome to be back in person. We're so glad that you guys are with us. So if you grew up coming to the green room when I was the youth pastor, or if you've been in my community group, or if you're a member of my family, you've played a game called who, what, when, where, why. We call it the question game sometimes. And basically what happens is everybody gets a blank sheet of paper. On the top line there or the top area, you write a who question and then you fold it over your question and then everyone passes the paper to the right. And then without reading what the person before you wrote as the who question, you then write a random who answer. So you just make up any, any answer that would answer a who question, you then write then you fold it again, and you do the same thing with a what question, a what answer, a who question, who answer, all the way through. And we did this with my family recently. Uh, here's, here's some of the things we have. So it's all just completely random. the questions, the answers, and how they come together. So one, one member of my family asked, who let the dogs out? And the answer was John the Baptist. So in case you were wondering. Then we had, who will the next president be? Pastor Pavone. He's sitting right here. So you guys can go ahead and meet him after service if you like. Uh, what did you eat for dinner last night? Barometer. When did you learn how to read? Tuesday at noon when the old lady passes the house on her tricycle. Uh, our, uh, Pat mentioned Joe, our, our, our uh, director of discipleship and connections, just got married. And so somebody asked, where will Joe and Shannon go on their honeymoon? Under the lamppost next to the fancy Wendy's. So I'm really proud of Joe for at least choosing the fancy Wendy's. And then lastly, why did you steal my air fryer? Because we still can't make robot butlers. And so the questions and answers in this game are completely random. But we're going to ask the same five questions in this series. Who, what, when, where, why. And for us, these questions are not random. They are vital. They are so important. Questions like, who are we here to reach? What are we here to do? When and where do we do it? And why do we do what we do as a church? This is such important vision for us. Somebody once said that vision leaks. What does that mean? Well, when my dad was a youth pastor back in the 80s and 90s, he used to play this game. and he would give. Each team, an empty coffee can, and then there would be a full bucket of water on one side of a field and an empty bucket on the other side of the field. And he would say, all right, I want you to take your coffee can, I want you to scoop water out, run it across the field, whoever fills up their bucket first wins but then he would tell us you have to hold the can over your head while you go from one bucket to the other and so of course everyone's not wanting to get wet and so we're all walking very carefully and being super careful to not get all soaked and and not like tip the the can at all and and make it to the other side but something interesting started to happen we started to realize no matter how careful we were no matter how slowly we walked and how steady we walked we were still all getting wet and that's because my dad eventually told us after the game was over he had drilled holes in the bottom of all the coffee cans. And you know what? Vision in church is just like that. We can walk so carefully. We can try to keep everything nice and steady and keep our eyes on it, but vision tends to leak over time. The, the why we're here and what we're here to do and who we're here to reach, it just sort of can fall by the wayside, especially in the last two years, especially coming through a pandemic and all the heartache and the things that we've all been through. Just the the reason we're here and what we're supposed to be doing, it can be so easy to lose focus of all that. The Bible says that without vision, the people perish. Somebody once said that when you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. And so we as a church want to come in here not aiming at nothing. We want to be aiming at the most important things, we want to make sure that we're on track with what God has for us. So we do a vision series every year because vision leaks because it's so important that we come back around and celebrate why we're here, what God's called us to, who we're here to reach, when and how, and where we do it. And so I'm excited about this series because I think it will just, as a church, help us get continually more and more momentum toward what God has for us here in this place and in this community. Now, today we're going to talk about who and who is so important. Who we are here to reach. Who we are here to to talk about the message of Jesus with. And this is such an important thing. You know, Christians and churches and denominations have debated this for a long time. Who is church for? And if we don't get the answer to this question right, we're in big trouble. People have decided that churches for this group, but not for that group. Some churches say, well, we just focus on these people. And that other church down the street, they can focus on those people. Who is church for? That's what we're going to talk about here today. And I'm going to start out with a super simple answer. It's going to sound way too simple. You're going to roll your eyes when I say this and be a little bit annoyed with me. But who is our church here for? The simple answer is everybody. Everybody. But how's that work, Doug? Because you have people from different backgrounds and ethnicities and races and walks of life and experiences and beliefs and convictions and understanding. And some people have known Jesus for a long time, some people don't know Jesus at all, and How do we all walk together? We've got different views on so many things, and we've got different hurts in our background. So how does that work? You get a bunch of hurt people in a room, and how is that supposed to work well? And so how do we do this? Well, That's what we're going to talk about here in our series, but we are really here to reach everybody. Why? Because Jesus came to reach everybody. And so understanding this concept is vital. Why? Because the moment we say we're here to reach this group, but not that group, we've already written our own funeral notice as a church. right? Because as soon as we are deciding, okay, here's our group, and here's our people, and here's what they look like, and here's how they act, and this is what we're all about, and we're going to just focus on that, then what happens is churches, and this happens all the time, churches, as soon as we get a room full of these people, we forget about all the rest who aren't in the room yet. All those who haven't heard the message yet. All those who are out there waiting for groceries on Wednesdays. All those who need the help and the hope of Christ poured into their life. And so we're here to reach everybody, but what does that look like? How do we do it? How is that something that we can accomplish together? We're going to talk about that here today. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're so glad you're here or watching online. It's just a thrill to be able to share with you the heart of God for you today. Because maybe you thought you were in the excluded group. Maybe you, were, maybe you thought you were that person or your group of friends or your family or, or your race or ethnicity or, or the things that you've come through or from have put you in the excluded group. And I want to let you know today that Jesus came for you. Jesus came to call your name. And so I'm excited about this. We're going to talk about something that I don't know a ton of us have really thought about too much. I want to talk with you guys about some of the characteristics of the followers of Jesus, those, those 12, the, the famous 12 disciples. We're going to learn something really powerful about Jesus, where he found them, and what he came to do in their lives and through their lives. Look at what it says in Luke 6, verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, who he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, some of those names stand out to us. Some of those names are extremely familiar, and others are not so much. And so today, I want us to think and talk about where Jesus found them. Who were these people when Jesus first called them? Because this has a lot to do with how we call others and get the message of hope out to others in our community Because I think sometimes we don't get that message out to certain people because we think, oh, they're struggling with this or they're going through that or this is where they came from. They wouldn't be interested or they wouldn't want to come. Or some of us here in the room or watching online, we've placed ourselves in a category and historically or maybe recently or in some way or another, we've decided that because we're in that category, we must not fit the mold for who Jesus would want to reach. So let's talk about these guys. Peter. What do we know about Peter? Peter was a fisherman. Peter was from Bethsaida and Capernaum. Some of his kind of worst hits, he was fearful at times, and then at other times he was bold to a fault. He rebuked Jesus. That's not a great call. He also would eventually betray and deny Jesus over and over and over again, repeatedly outside in front of Public, in a public space in front of tons of people, say, I don't know that Jesus, and he would curse and swear to try to distance himself as someone who was a follower of Jesus. Can I ask a question? Do you know anybody who has some of those characteristics? They're fearful, or they're bold to a fault, or they're somebody who has betrayed somebody else. you know anybody like that? Maybe you haven't invited them or reached out to them because you know that they're, oh, I don't know, they're just kind of that person. Or maybe you're that kind of person. You're going, wait, I'm the fearful one. I'm the bold to a fault one. I'm the one who's abandoned Jesus or denied Jesus over and over again. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't rule out those who are fearful? Bold to a fault? Deny him sometimes? Let's go on. Andrew was a fisherman. He was the brother of Peter. He was from Bethsaida and Capernaum. James was a fisherman. He was the brother of John. And he and John, Jesus had a specific name for them. John and James were both fishermen, but he gave them a name, and it was the Sons of Thunder. Why were they called the Sons of Thunder? Well, because they were rough around the edges. They were certainly bold to a fault at times, and they were insensitive at times as well, but they were also very passionate do you know anybody who has those characteristics do you know anybody who maybe you or I haven't reached out to because oh man he's a little rough around the edges to bring church picnic right oh they're a little insensitive at times I don't know if we should include them in the community group right well I'm so thankful Jesus hasn't ruled any of those people out I'm so grateful he has not ruled out the rough around the edges insensitive bold type you know why because I just described every New Yorker, friends. <laughs> That's all of us. Did you know that? Years ago, we went to a pastor's conference in Georgia. And we walked in, and you know, there's all these wonderful Southern people there, Southern hospitality, and they were great and amazing. And this one greeter from the church, as we were walking by, just said, Where are y'all from? You know? And we said, Oh, Long Island, New York. And this lady literally just stopped, put her hand on us, and was Lord bless these boys. <laughs> Because she knows, man, what New York's like. They know, she knows we're, we're rough around the edges. We are bold to a fault. We're insensitive at times. And so were James and John. Are you seeing where Jesus found these guys? Bartholomew. We know almost nothing about Bartholomew, which I actually think is really powerful. Because I think that there's a whole bunch of us in the room that would say, I'm a no-name I'm obscure. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody sees the value in me. Nobody knows why I've, you know, lived my life this way or that way to this point. And and I think Bartholomew, the fact that, like, he's not this famous super disciple is kind of powerful because God used him mightily, That you're going to see in just a few minutes. We go on. James the Lesser. Why is he called James the Lesser? Because he was chosen to be a follower of Jesus after James, the brother of John. So it wasn't necessarily a derogatory thing like, where's Jesus? he's with the lesser. Like it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but think about it in our culture, how many of us sort of just relate to being the lesser. The one who's kind of just not chosen, the one who's kind of forgotten a little bit, the one who's been left out, the one who's maybe been abandoned at times. Just we're just the lesser. Here's where Jesus found these guys. This next one's super famous, but for the wrong reasons. Judas Iscariot. He was from Jericho. He was a Judean and the rest were Galileans. He was chosen by Jesus even though Jesus knew Judas would betray him and turn him over for 30 pieces of silver. Some of you know this in Hebrew culture. 30 pieces of silver was really significant. It was the price of a slave. If, if a slave was killed by an ox or something, the master of that slave was given 30 pieces of silver in compensation. And here's what Judas pays to betray, is paid to, to betray Jesus. There's another guy named Judas who probably wished his name wasn't also Judas. He was the brother of James the lesser, so that's another strike against him. Who are you if you're the brother of the lesser, right? What does that make you? Matthew, another famous one, tax collector. Again, many of us know in Matthew's day, tax collectors were hated. Everybody, or rather the Jews, believed that only taxes or tributes, if you want to use that word, should be paid to God. So when you're giving to anyone else, you're infringing upon God's rights. Didn't help either the tax collector were thieves, the lowest of the low and the criminals. Do you know anybody like that? Anybody in your life characterized as maybe a thief, maybe not, maybe a criminal, maybe not, but definitely lowest of the low? Anybody here today or watching online feel like that? Just the lowest. I'm so thankful Jesus didn't rule them out. Philip, he came from the same town as Peter and Andrew and was likely a fisherman, Here's a cool name, Simon the Zealot. Do you guys know that there's several possibilities for that nickname, the Zealot? The Zealot could have two possible negative connotations. The first one is he may have been a part of a Jewish sect known as the Zealots, which were associated with violent uprisings who expected the Messiah to come in power and force and overthrow Rome. And so if Jesus included Simon the Zealot, and that's why that was his nickname, think about who he's inviting into his group. Think about how this background and the story and the association of a group of violent activists. Here's Jesus go and Simon, come follow me. Now, another reason Simon may have been named the Zealot is because he may maybe that he was zealous for the Mosaic Law. And if that was the case, then anybody else know anybody who was uh, zealous for the Mosaic Law? Some of the yeah, well, Paul, but there were some other guys, right? No, no, named the Pharisees who were super religious who were super, you know, just hypocritical because they would say one thing and do another. And if he was one of them, then here's Jesus inviting a really religious, hypocritical person into his inner circle. Lastly is the famous Thomas. Thomas the what? Thomas the doubter. Thomas's disposition was to be one of of pessimism, was to be one who had to see it to believe it, to be somebody who really struggled in his faith. I'm guessing there's some people in the room or watching online that kind of feel... Like a Thomas, maybe know somebody who's a Thomas. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't rule these people out? Aren't you so thankful that he wanted to continue to pursue people just like this? What's the point of bringing up all these names? Because I wanted you to know where Jesus found them. You know, we just sang a few minutes ago, I didn't even know this was gonna happen, but in the song, there was some kind of line about us one day standing by the heroes of faith, right? In heaven, like what a cool thing. We'll stand with the heroes of faith. Do you realize we just talked about a bunch of the heroes of faith and who they were before they became heroes of faith? Do you realize there's a couple other names in the Bible? My man Gene shouted one out just a minute ago, Paul. There's another guy named David. There's another guy named Moses, who I'm pretty sure all had some kind of difficult past and history before and even sometimes while walking with God. There was, uh, I think, murder in all three of their stories, no? Turned into heroes of the faith. Let me ask you a question. Where were you when Jesus called you? Who were you when Jesus called you? You see, what's interesting is many of the disciples, maybe even all of them, were the last people Jesus should have chosen. Have you ever been chosen last? Remember recess? Gym? That was the worst, wasn't it? They'd go, all right, we're going to get two captains, and they're going to make teams. All right, Bobby's a captain and Tom's a captain. Cool. Bobby looks like Thor and Tom looks like Captain America. And I look like Squidward. (laughs) And so Bobby and Tom start yelling names out. Paul, I want Paul. i take Seth. I want Chris. I want David. I guess we'll take Jansen. Yeah, that was always fun. When we go on the men's retreat and we play softball, we're like, all right, how are we going to make teams? Somebody's always like, let's choose captains. I'm like, nope. <laughs> We're doing birthdays, January to June on this side, and July to August on that side. <laughs> you know, if Jesus had lined up a bunch of people against the wall, by a man's own wisdom, I'm telling you these 12 would have been the last. But he sought them out, and he went for them, like he's gone for you and me. Like he's called our names. If you're not a father of Jesus, like he's calling your names name like he's wanting your heart to be open to his work in your life the last people jesus should have chosen became and did some pretty incredible things let's talk about that peter well he truly loved his savior didn't he he walked on water he saw many saved he saw many healed and he got to write two books of the bible and his faith became so strong that he gave his life for being a follower of jesus andrew His faith became so strong that he, too, was martyred. James was the first martyr. John was called the disciple that Jesus loved, even with all of his boldness and insensitivity. He became Jesus' closest friend. He saw many healed, many saved, and he got to write five books of the Scripture. Bartholomew got to hang out with Jesus for three years. He got to preach the message of the resurrected Savior. And listen, he is a reminder that Jesus pursues the obscure the no-name. James the lesser got to follow Jesus, walk with him, learn from him, discover who he was, and he's a reminder that Jesus pursues you and me who might feel like the lesser. Judas Iscariot, this is really important. He's a reminder of a lot of things. Number one, he's a reminder that not everyone we share Jesus with will receive it. Don't let that shut you up. You shared your faith once and you got shot down. You invited somebody to come to church. They didn't come. They came it went bad, whatever. Like, don't let that stop you. Judas is also a reminder that Jesus pursued him even though he knew Judas was going to break his heart and stab him in the back. Don't raise your hand on this, but anybody got a Judas in the room? Don't point. Somebody's pointing. (laughs) Anybody got a Judas? Right. We all have a Judas in our life. And Jesus still pursued him. This is so important. Listen, you may have pursued somebody, poured into them, showed them the love of Christ in a million ways, and it went bad, and they hurt you, and they stabbed you in the bank. Back, that does not mean you did the wrong thing. You did the right thing, pointing them to Jesus. Now listen, we have Christian counselors. I'm very thankful for them because there are times we need wisdom to know about putting a boundary up having wisdom to know about a certain relationship. Do I continue to pursue? Do I pull back? Am I, you know, what's going on? Is there some kind of a, a hurt that needs to be worked through, or is this something I need to step back from? That's, that's, there's a lot to that. I can't just get on a stage and say, you know, continue to pursue everyone, because that's not always right. But I just want to say in a general sense that there will be those that hurt us, even though we've lovingly poured the grace of Jesus out over and over again, and it's cost us something. And Jesus models that with Judas. Another thing that Judas reminds us is there will be some that seem to be close to Jesus for a while, but then they walk away. And sometimes we take that personally. Sometimes we're like, but I invested so much in them. I prayed so much, and I was there for them. And, yeah, I know. I feel that. I can relate to that struggle and that frustration and that hurt. But that doesn't mean you didn't do what God wants you to do. Lastly, this is really important. Judas is a reminder that we serve a God that has a plan. Think about it salvation, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection is the most incredible thing, but it required a Judas, didn't it? Some of us are walking through some stuff right now and we're saying, God, how can you have a plan? Look at this pain that I'm experiencing. God, how can you have allowed this? God, how, how could this thing have happened? You, you never know what kinds of things lead to those resurrection moments. What, what, what part of God's plan is painful and difficult, but it's about to lead to something absolutely incredible in him. The other Judas was martyred for his faith. Matthew was a criminal and a thief. No one ever thought he would change. No one ever expected him to be some, become somebody that would write a gospel. But he got to write the book of Matthew, and he was martyred for his faith. Philip was one of the first who heard Jesus speak those words, follow me. And his heart was receptive. Some of you are here today or watching online, and you've never put your trust in Jesus before. But there's something in you. God's doing something. He's drawing your heart close to him. And, you know, in a few minutes, when I say I'd love for you to pray to receive Christ today, some of you are, are you're ready. You're there. You're like, I, I'm like Philip. I'm like Philip. My heart's ready. You know, Jesus speaks those words, follow me. I'm in. Simon the Zealot. Well, if zealot meant a violent political group, here is Jesus. Reaching out and saying, Come follow me. If zealot meant that he was a Pharisee like, uh, religious hypocrite, Jesus was inviting that into his circle. There's a third option. The word zealot could refer to Jesus, or or, or, I'm sorry, um, Judas's great, uh, Simon, excuse me, Simon's great zeal and love for Jesus. And so, whatever that word zealot meant, here is Jesus extending that offer, Come follow me. And lastly, Thomas, who got to put his his hands in the holes in Jesus, hands and feet inside. I love Thomas because if I was a disciple, I think I would have been him. I would have been the one like, all right, let me see him. I need to see him with my eyes. I need to touch those nail holes. We probably all rate, r- relate differently to a disciple. There's probably somebody I've mentioned today. You're like, oh, I would have been him. That, that, that would have been me. That, that's my characteristic. That's my tendency. That's my struggle. That's what I feel like. And for me, I'm so thankful there's a Thomas. I'm so thankful because we have somebody who literally walked into that situation and everyone else had experienced Jesus to that point. And here he is saying, nope, not ready to believe yet. Not, not, not going you know, to start, start yelling and screaming like everybody else that Jesus is back from the dead. Not till I experience it for myself. And I'm so thankful that there was a doubter among them, for all the doubters among us, that need that encouragement, that it's okay to approach Jesus. It's okay. Jesus did not rebuke Thomas and say, you can't come touch the nail holes in my hands. He said, no, come, come and see, it's me. And I believe Jesus is inviting you in the same way. If you're wrestling with doubt, it's okay to question. It's okay to approach God and say, God, I need you to show me that you're there. I need you to show me that you're real. I need you to show me that this way is the truth. Look at what these last people Jesus should have chosen became and accomplished in him. Who do you know that needs to be invited, that needs to be loved that needs to be prayed for who do you know that needs to be invested in who do you know that needs the message of Jesus because we're here to reach everybody I love that the disciples were were everybody they they had different backgrounds they had different struggles they had different beliefs and convictions and and can we just talk about for a minute that you know Jesus story with them Ends not long after in his earthly relationship with them after the crucifixion and resurrection, right? And all of them are still a mess right before the crucifixion. As the crucifixion happens, they're running, they're abandoning, they're they're fleeing. And so, like ninety eight percent of Jesus' time with his disciples, they're still a complete mess. And I'm not trying to say, "Oh, let's all just be a mess," right? But isn't it encouraging that the world out there that sometimes we label a mess, there's a patient Savior saying, oh, no, come to me. Those of us in here would say, man, I'm I'm just a mess today. I made some really stupid choices. I've done some things I'm so ashamed of. I can't believe I I did that. I can't believe I went back to such and such or so and so. I can't believe I made this choice. I can't believe I did it again. If only Doug knew he'd kick me out of this church. No, that's the Savior saying, no, you're here today because I'm calling your name. You're lined up against the wall. I'm calling you. Come be on my team. I want you. That's the Savior that we have. That's the God that we have. This is the Jesus that we follow. And I'm so thankful that his heart was like that for his followers, those 12, because they changed the whole world. You're a follower of Jesus today because Jesus died and rose again, but also because these guys got the word out. And Judas, though he died, was replaced. And these 12 men went out and changed the world. Grace of God at work. Grace of God. And so there's something that I want to bring up that I say four or five times a year, and it's this thought, I want us to be a church that holds the crown six inches above each other's heads so we can grow up into it. I hope we never forget that. You guys can write it on my my gravestone one day. This guy wouldn't shut up about this one phrase, because that's what Jesus did. All right, Peter, dude, you're a mess, but I'm gonna hold this crown above your head and watch you grow up into who you're gonna become, and man, it's gonna be powerful. Thomas, you're a doubter, but I'm going to hold this crown up above your head and watch you grow when your faith become so strong you'll give your life for it. Matthew, you're a criminal. You're a cheat. You're a liar. But let me hold this crown up and watch you grow up into it. And that doesn't mean that there aren't hard conversations. Jesus had hard conversations with his followers. That was a part of the growing up into the crown, right? I'm not just saying we hold it all there and pretend we're all perfect, no, we, we hold it there, and we watch, and we root, and we pray, and we talk, and we converse, and we challenge until we grow up into who God has called us to be. And so I pray you're seeing today that we're here to reach everybody. And if everybody is kind of like the disciples, then here, here's who we're here to reach. The fearful, the rough around the edges, the insensitive, the unfaithful, the no-name, the lesser, the obscure, the criminal, the liar, the lowest of the low, the religious, the doubter, the pessimist. That's who Jesus came, and that was his go-to team. So what's our, our zoomed-out target? Like, how do we kind of, rather than just say we're here to reach everyone, if we could get a little more specific, here's how we've kind of phrased it over the years. We're here to reach every age, every race, every stage of life, and every stage of faith. Let me break those down for you real quickly. Every age. The disciples were likely between the ages of teenagers up to Jesus' age at around 33 years old when he gave his life for us. I love that though they were in that younger bracket, they went out and reached every age. And in their lifetimes grew, many of them and several of them, into later ages. And so they were reaching all different types of people with the message of Jesus. I love when guest pastors or friends of mine come to church and and are able to share. We always get the same feedback. You know what somebody, they all say? They all say, we love how multi-generational this church is, that there's young and old. we got babies running around, well, if they can run yet. we got little ones. we got kids down the hall in the gym. We've got our youth. We've got our college students, young professionals, married. We've got families. We've got um, some who have empty nests and some who are retired. It's just such an awesome thing that God has done every age. And I, I pray that when you come in, young and old are receiving, that we're growing, that we're getting somewhere in our faith. I love the idea of every race. This is something we've got to grow in something we got to grow in is the heart of God. My wife Kelly has this recurring dream that our church is full of all different types of skin color. And I think that's such the heart of God. And she'll come out out of our room and say I had the dream again. And I'll say, "Which one? The one about having another baby or the the one about the church?" You go the other church one. Okay, good. <laughs> but man, what a beautiful thing that would be for the Lord just keep on growing us in our diversity. I think that's so important every age. Every race, every stage of life, like I mentioned earlier, the babies, the kids, the youth, right up through, no matter where you find yourself professionally, no matter whether you're single or married or dating or engaged or divorced or wherever you are in life, that there's a spot for you somewhere here at Living Word. And lastly, every stage of faith. Our vision is to be a church that unchurched people love to attend and where Christians can grow deep in their faith. A lot of churches choose one or the other. We're going to be a church that unchurched people love to attend. Or forget the unchurched people, we're going to be a church that people can grow deep in their faith. We really believe, by God's grace, that we can be both. That we can continue to to see you guys come in as strong believers and invite your neighbors, and everybody can take a step toward Jesus together. Or maybe you're watching online or here in the room, and you're not a follower of Jesus, but you know your friend or your boss or somebody has been a Christian for a long time, but they've been unplugged from church. And so here you are, not even a Christian, you're exploring and asking questions about Jesus, but you look at your boss and say, hey, why don't you come to church? And here's somebody who's known Jesus for 20 years sitting next to you who you're not quite sure yet, and we're all growing and taking a step toward Jesus. We think that's so incredibly important. Will you help us? How do you help us? Two things. Inviting people to church, which is kind of weird because half our church doesn't even come to the building right now because it's a a tricky time. Inviting people to church to come with you if you are here in the room or if you're somebody who's watching online, letting them know we're here or inviting them to join in on our online campus. Secondly, loving those who come in. Loving and serving those who come in. But Doug, they, they look different than me. Love them and serve them. But they believe really different than me. Love them and serve them. Hold the crown six inches above their head. Watch them grow up into it. But, Doug, they have all these hurts. And, okay, we're going to just love them and serve them. But they, you wouldn't believe how they voted. We're going to love them and serve them. But, Doug, you know what they believe about mass and vaccines, right? We're going to love them and serve them. But, Doug, we're just, I, I don't know. I can't see. I, we're just going to keep on loving and serving. I, I, you know, I was standing backstage, and I had a thought in my head about a disagreement i was having with somebody just just somebody that makes me feel a little uncomfortable and i just kind of laughed because i thought to myself well how many millions of times did that happen among the 12 disciples <laughs> here they were stuck as a follower of jesus how many times did they want to just knock each other's heads how many times did they see so differently did they disagree so much and jesus kept calling them back calling them back come on guys and they didn't just have to see each other once a week. They lived together. They are all smelly on the boat out there. They are walking and, you know, hiking to the next town. And, man, Jesus just says, come to me, come to me, come to me. Let's keep loving one another. Let's keep serving one another. And if we do, we're going to see the fearful and the rough around the edges and the insensitive. We're going to see the criminal, the liar, the cheat, the obscure, the no-name, the hurt, the forgotten, the violent, the political. We're going to see even the religious zealot, the doubter, and the pessimist finding the hope of Jesus. So i ask you a question I asked you before. Where were you when Jesus called you? Who were you when Jesus called you? So I prayed the prayer of faith when I was four years old. I don't think I got it then. <laughs> when I was a teenager, though, I started to understand who Jesus was and what salvation meant. And when Jesus called me at that point, I was really two things. There was a dichotomy in my life. On the one hand, I was a really impure person doing a lot of really stupid and pure things. And on the other hand, I was trying to save myself. I was trying to keep by just a whole bunch of rule keeping all these different paths I thought or ways I could get to Jesus and get his approval and find his mercy. And it was in that point of tremendous impurity and sin and Tremendous religious hypocrisy that Jesus called me and rescued me from impurity, forgave me, again, to challenge me in the way that I was thinking and lining my heart up with his word and then tremendous grace, grace and truth, right? That's what it was. It was grace and truth that rescued and saved me. And you know, I, I think about you. Where were you? Who were you? Who were you when Jesus called your name? And what are you doing now? take a next step toward him and then also invite and love and serve those who are far from him i think god could do some really exciting things through us but we just got to keep our eyes on the vision we can't let it leak we have to remember we are here for such an important thing and we're here for such a short time aren't we And what God could call us to do here as Living Word Church is super exciting. And we're on the verge of the new property and and God doing so much. But, man, I'm telling you, if we can just keep our hearts enraptured in who Jesus is, saying, Lord, I know you've called us to be here to reach every age and every race and every stage of life and every stage of faith, then, Lord, we're going to see some amazing victories won for you. And so I pray that we'd be in on that together. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to think about putting your trust in him. Maybe you're like Philip. You're like, I'm ready, Lord. Uh, I'm hearing God say, follow me. I'm feeling my heart's pounding right now because I just I see this love. I see this salvation, this forgiveness and mercy that Jesus can give me. And I want it. Man, the most beautiful thing in the world would be if you put your trust in him right here today. And take a step closer. He loves you. You're lined up against the wall, it's gym, it's recess, and he's calling your name. He wants you on his team. Let's pray together. God, we are humbled at the fact that you've called our name. We're so thankful because none of us deserve it. Not one of us in this room deserves our name called, but God, you've been so merciful and you love us so much. And we thank you that, Jesus, you called criminals and murderers and adulterers and activists and hypocrites and fearful and insignificant and and obscure and, and and the lesser and the liar and the cheat, the doubter. God, that's us, that's all of us. And God, we're so grateful for your mercy. And God, I just pray that today, as followers of Jesus, we would revel in and delight in the God of grace who has saved us. And I also pray that we will join you, Jesus, in this mission you have to reach others with the hope of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'd love for you to pray for a minute about somebody you know that's not here today, that maybe you'd love to see them sitting next to you or watching the stream with you in the near future. Would you pray for them by name? If you're not a father of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, I'd love for you to just respond. You can just say something like this. God, I feel you doing something in me today. I feel you calling my name, Jesus, and I am so thankful that you've chosen to reach out to me. Thank you that you love me. I thank you that you value me. I thank you that you offer me salvation and forgiveness. Today I'm taking that step towards you. Jesus, show me, like Thomas, show me how real you are. And I thank you for this gift of salvation in your name.